Hello and welcome back to the Checkpoint Reach podcast. This is a gaming and occasional movie news podcast. I'm your host Luke Eldon and as ever I'm joined by my fellow gamers and friends Sud, Matty and Perks. How you doing guys? Yeah good, good. Uh, not as good as it was five minutes ago but still good so we're all good. <laughs> Sud alluding well, on the to right track. a few technical issues of me forgetting to press record so... <laughs> <laughs> well you thought it was the best policy. Yeah. I thought this was just deja vu. <laughs> it could be, to be fair. I wish it, it was, because it mean we'd had the previous yeah. five minutes, but there we are. Um, how about you, Perks? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. I'm slightly disappointed my new week, new you joke got lost yeah, in time. Yeah, there's, no, there's no point saying hey, it now. Just it won't have the same It's effect. gone now, and it's so, not funny anymore. No. So, great start for us this week. Yeah. <laughs> no joke, we always have a joke, don't we, usually at the start, but not this week, I'm afraid, guys. Sorry. Well... Unfortunately, that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> anyway, we'll get started with our first topic of the day, um, which is the Anthem microtransactions controversy. It seems like EA is starting off as they always do by getting it wrong. Various cosmetic items have appeared on Reddit, and they seem to be going for around $20 a pop. Um, shards are the game's premium currency, and based on what we know, 100 shards is roughly $1. The picture that's been uh, circulating around Reddit uh, shows a javelin paint job for around 2,000 shards each. So for around $20 or £20. Um, obviously this is a ridiculous price I think and it seems like EA just, they just never seem to get these things right. What what are your guys' thoughts on it? Well, you Megan said, there's your well, joke yeah. for the week, EA. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. I mean they just what can you do apart from sigh? You know, it's like they just, they can't seem to be, do anything right at the minute. You know, whether it's the controversy with the game itself with Anthem, whether it's the controversy with Battlefield Five, whether it's FIFA, there just seems to be always something at the minute that's, you know, I mean, even before that, you had Battlefront 2, and so it's like, it's just a never-ending, you know, they just never learn. shitstorm, really, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's like, what? They can't, they can't seem to do anything right, and it's like, you know, they, they put all these they, £20 microtransactions in now for different colours and stuff like that for your javelin. It's like, you know, if it was like something that was a pound, two pounds, something like that, I don't think people would have many complaints. I mean, there'd always be people complaining about microtransactions, but if it was a reasonable price and it was something that was, you know, a pound, two pounds, something that people weren't bothered about, it'd be fine. But once you start going past that £10 threshold and it starts getting towards 15 20 and above, it just, it's just reeks of greed, doesn't it? It's like... And, you know, you could argue the other way and say, you know, if people are stupid enough to buy them, then, you know, whatever. And, you know, the, the old saying of someone's only worth whatever someone else will pay for it. So there is that way of looking at it. And I think EA are just, they're just banking on, uh, they're banking on the, you know, the rich people that can just come along and £20, they can just spend it like that and it's nothing to them. Yeah, all the but, little Jimmys getting their parents <laughs> credit cards well, like we discussed a few weeks ago. If I remember ago. right, I remember them saying, I can't remember who said it, someone said it that was an insider was saying about how, you know, EA, do you remember at the first when they had them, re, uh, before they took them out originally, they had the microtransactions, didn't they? In the, was it in the beta or something? Whatever it was, or maybe when the game first came out when they didn't patch it. There was them uh, ones where you could spend like 40 quid and stuff like that, wasn't there, on 
uh, getting you know getting the upgrades faster and stuff. And they were saying that you know all the rich people that they can just live off the rich people that buy them because mm-hmm. there's what, so many like what was this for? You know, sorry, Battlefront Two. I think it was Battlefront Two they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, people were buying the stuff and getting upgraded. And you know it was like Darth Vader, wasn't it? it was the famous thing where it would take like hundred hours to unlock him or something before they changed it all or something ridiculous. Yeah, it was horrible. So it was yeah, it was pretty mental, but I just don't get how they don't learn. I mean they've had so many no, they've made so many mistakes and how their community, you know, turn on them, complain, explain what the community want and then they're like, what? Yeah, don't worry, we'll listen and then the next game, no. Yes. Back to It must have mattered them, that's all I can think that they make so much money that it's just irrelevant how much bad PR they get, because they know they're going to get people buying their stuff regardless. Yeah, I think people should vote with their wallets with this one. Hmm. That's the only way you're going to send a message. If not, I mean, obviously, not no, some people will buy them, but if enough people don't, then they'll have to reconsider their, you know, their pricing, uh, their pricing tiers. But anyway, I'd like to get Matty and Perks' thoughts on this. Well, I think it's interesting with so just saying that they make so much money that you know it, it's sort of irrelevant to them what people think they are coming off the back of one of their worst ever sort of financial returns so slowly but surely we're reaching a point where it actually will mean something to them i think on the the sort of one we're focusing on right now with with the anthem sort of screenshot that's been all over the internet in the last week or so i guess we're sort of using price association from from other games aren't we we're saying that 2000 shards will equate to you know, roughly X amount of pounds and dollars and so on. Yeah. If it does cost £20 for a skin, or close to, we'll say roughly for the time being, because we're not sure. This is a screenshot from a while back, or at least so they've said. But but if it does cost £20 for a skin, then what we're saying is two skins basically equates to the full price of the game. Yeah, pretty much. And that's just <laughs> crazy to me. That just doesn't make any sense. I think what else do we have on there we've got some sort of there's one thing on the screenshot called a fabric there's a metal which look like they're going to sort of um sort of affect the way that the the armor pieces actually look so you can make them have different kind of appearances like that mm-hmm. and even they would be coming in at around the sort of eight pound mark which is which is crazy and there's an emote on there which would be around 10 pounds I mean, these these aren't small things. We're not talking about one or two pound here for something that looks quite cool and, you know, it's a bit of a novelty and a few people pick it up. These are seriously steep prices if we're correct with our sort of price association with, with other games. And one of my biggest problems with sort of cosmetic microtransactions in general is that if they're in a game that's free to play or a non-AAA game, I understand it because if hey look if the game's free to play or, or very very cheap they've got to make money somewhere right yeah but we're talking about a triple a game here what should be or could be one of the biggest releases this year and they're coming in with what we expect as astonishingly high price points for cosmetic microtransactions and that's that's just bad like that's bad practice and they, they've obviously said that it's it's going to stay cosmetic and it's not going to influence the game or whatever, but one of the things that sort of set an alarm bell ringing for me is when I actually looked at that image, there's sort of a, an LB, RB, if you're looking at the Xbox build, uh, at the top of the page there, and there's a few different tabs. So they're on the Featured tab, which is the furthest left, and in the middle, there's a tab for Crafting, 
Now, crafting's not cosmetic. Crafting severely influences the game. Mm. So I would wonder where they've actually taken this screenshot from. If they were to have pressed right bumper and gone across to that middle tab, is there any microtransaction in the game that influences the actual gameplay? If Because if there is, that's sort of shooting themselves in the face, let alone shooting themselves in the foot, because they've clearly stated so far that it's going to be purely cosmetic, and it, it's still wrong based on their price point, or expected price point. Yeah. But, my God, if they do another Battlefront 2 and have some way of paying for progress, that's that's an unbelievable error. It, surely not. It really surely is. not. It can't. They can't do, surely. I mean, like you said, they've already come out and said they're all cosmetic. I mean, if you've said that and then they're not, then that is literally the ultimate betrayal. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it really? You can't I mean, be doing that, like, surely. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's for sure. I, I'm no, just saying I, that based on that screenshot, there's a little bit of a warning sign there. And I, I just think, please it's a bit don't worrying. do that. Like, don't have people running around on day one, having spent thousands of pounds, having made so much more no. progress than everyone else. Sure, that's, I, I... we don't need another Battlefront two. That's that's just bad. If if that happens, then this game will, wow, like the the backlash will we be should, so real. We should say though that um, Bioware have also said that the pricing isn't concrete yet, haven't they? They have. But yeah. I would say on that is that it's going to be close to. Yeah, we're, we're not going to see it cut in half, right? If, if yeah. it's changed, it's going to be a little bit more. Well, sorry, a little bit less than what we've seen on there. Just to try and appease people, they're not going to start slashing prices left, right, and center. The pricing will be similar. It will probably be exactly the same because if it wasn't, they would have just straight up come out and said that that isn't right. I agree. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's a good point. So they probably are going to be in and around that that figure. Um, I mean, this as well comes off the back of some news to do with EA regarding Ultimate Team. Uh, I believe perks that packs have been banned in Belgium? Yeah, it's been enforced on them by the, the Belgian authorities, if you like, because you know the, this has been a, a sort of a rolling topic for years now, hasn't it, as to whether sort of microtransactions that gambling. do affect the gameplay are gambling when it's, it's sort of loot box based and it's RNG based. And it's not like you're paying £20 for a skin, you could pay £20 and end up with absolute garbage, or the best thing in the game and and the, there's sort of way too much rng with that yeah it's a slot um, machine it, it it like you know how i feel about this sorry to interrupt but i'm so impassioned about ultimate team packs and how it is just clearly gambling like th there's no two ways about it to be honest with you it's highly addictive you know you get sort of animations in the packs that are very sort of fast-paced um, they make you want to open more and more and more packs. And the main audience for this is children. And obviously they're more likely to get addicted to that to that form of, of entertainment. And it's just like a, a really, really shady business practice, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't mind it so much in Fortnite because people are buying the Battle Pass and 100 tiers are available and you can see what you will get for each tier. You know what you're buying. If you go onto the, to the store in Fortnite and buy a skin you know that's what you're going to get for your money. Whereas it's completely different with Ultimate Team Packs. It's it's just like, like you said, completely honestly random number generated. And the actual chances of getting good players are so low that it means that people keep coming back for more and more and more and more if they want to progress in the in that version of the game. Mm, I mean, we, we saw a while back with them, didn't they, in, in certain 
uh, in certain countries, they were forced to release the actual probabilities for getting certain things. I mean, there wasn't sort of yeah, you know, a probability shocking. of getting every player, but it was it was high probabilities, low probabilities, and, and sort of mid-range for, for certain things. So they had to sort of give out a blanket sort of table of probabilities, like a table of contents as to what you could get with your money. It, it's But like you said, it's a slot machine, it's a scratch card. Even with that post, they were dishonest because I don't know if you remember, but it said for Ronaldo and like the higher tier players, chances. Yeah. Didn't say that it was 0.0000000001%, which it most likely is. It just said less than 1%. So even with that, they just, again, resort to shady business practices because they know if they actually release the odds of, of you know, how, how likely it is to get maybe like a Ronaldo or Messi in a pack, it's probably one in like 50,000, uh, I guess. I mean, we can vouch, can't we, from previous experience many years ago that you and I were were sort of big on, on Ultimate Team and, and we know just how sort of dark this practice is firsthand. I think it, it's a good step that we've we've seen in, in Belgium just, just in the last couple of days that it has been banned and that they've only got until the end of January, which is basically tomorrow, to to make those changes effective so that they, you know anyone in Belgium can't purchase these things anymore. And you know they can still purchase them with the in-game currency and 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 getting things that way, but we all know that takes thousands more hours, and and people like the shortcut. One point um, I'd like to make, though, just to interrupt you, is on the other side, trying to look at it from the other side a bit. Why why has it took them so long? I mean, my, you know, my transaction FIFA have been around for nearly ten years, and they've only just banned them. It seems a bit strange to me. It's it, it, you know, it seems is it is this more of a political move? Not sort of thinking more than a Maybe one. maybe it's to do with the uh, gaming industry. Just uh, the bigger it's got, yeah, more true. attention it's got. Uh, or the true, more but they I think these, to authority- take it seriously. Yeah, but these authorities—they're not daft. They, they they monitor these things as soon as they you know appear. I mean, it, you know, there'll be I would argue. I'd this. argue that they are daft. <laughs> I'd yeah. argue a lot well, of okay, power but, daft. But they should. This isn't even say. Why is this? You know, all right. At first, maybe they didn't know. But after three or four years, when microtransactions started becoming a thing. You know, they, why did they not ban them then? Why has it took, unless it's been in court cases or legal battles or something, that's the only thing I can think. It's been tied up in court for so long and they've only just been able to, been able to do it. But well, I this, think uh, culture, right? culture always, always struggles, man. Culture always struggles to keep up with the gaming industry because it's so fast-paced. And yeah. most of the people that are in power in these countries are probably, you know, in their 50s, 60s. They don't really understand what's going on. So obviously it's one of them things where it takes a while for this yeah. to sort of filter through. True. But is it a good thing they've been banned completely? I mean, could they not have just maybe found a way to change them so that, that you know, that you said the odds are a bit better or there's a way that you can see what you're going to get more? I know with Ultimate Team it'd be difficult to do where you could see exactly what player you're going to get, but maybe <laughs> there could be problem. some system where you know exactly what type of player you're going to get or, you know what I mean? The biggest problem with gam- is, if, is if it is considered gambling then you have to be 18 mm. don't you obviously yeah. so then how would you change the packs to not be gambling i suppose you'd anything you do buy is... the player wouldn't you i guess well the only thing i suppose you could do is make it an 18 rated game which is not gonna I... happen is it no I, I don't think so either but i think that's the only way you could do it and it still be allowed in that form um in belgium now obviously in other countries it's fine because they haven't done any sort of rules for it but if that if this is going to be a thing where we start seeing more European countries and you know then I think EA have got a lot to think about because 
would they ever? Could you any of you foresee them ever making an eight team? No, no. I, I just so what do you think they do work. though instead? If they have to change, that's what they'd I was probably thinking. find loopholes. Yeah, there's always well, loopholes, thinking, isn't yeah. there? So they probably find yeah. some way to, I don't know, implement a change that would mean that it doesn't count as gambling. I don't, I don't really know, but they'll find a way. Well, you could just be able to buy the players outright, like you can in in Fortnite, like you can in. Well, obviously, it's it, you don't buy players in Fortnite, but like I said, you you know exactly what you're going to get for your money. And the you know the worst thing is they probably still make just as much money. Because if they did charge like fifty quid for Ronaldo, people would definitely pay it. Oh yeah, they'd be so I think they'd many. make even more money. To be honest, they might even make more money from it. I know people say, "Well, yeah, people, you know, keep spending because of this whole gambling nature, and it's like addictive." But I think it'd be addictive. People getting like amazing teams and spending hundred, two hundred pounds on it, and then oh. people scrap their team and then want to buy more players. So I don't think it would last as long though, because obviously once you buy the best team you possibly can. Then what? Whereas, like with these at the moment, with the way Ultimate Teams set up, it's always, you know, oh, I need to get a different player because you can't just go out and buy the player that you want. But what about but, if they did some sort of system where the more games you play, the more players you unlock to buy? Like yeah. maybe you start off with just like like different tiers you know, or something. Yeah, like you can, but you know, obviously you'd be able to buy like silver players or whatever and gold, but maybe like. 70 to 75 to 80 rated gold players and then you play a few more matches you can unlock 80 to 82 and then 82 to 84 and then so on and so on yeah I'm, mm. I'm just glad that belgium have done what they've done because it's an ethical issue and it's one that needed tackling because obviously you can go into a shop as a 10 year old and we used to buy you know packs of pokemon cards and that is technically you know the same as buying ultimate team packs but it's so much different when these kids are sort of isolated locked up in their room you know and you know they've got hold of their mum and dad's credit card or whatever it is it's so easy to spend more and more and more money mm. and like i said there, there probably is loopholes that ea can get around saying that this isn't gambling because at the end of the day they ha they have got a case you know if you go in and buy you know like a little minifigure and you know there's one of six minifigures in each pack and you really want you know whatever it is the incredible hulk and you don't get it and then you keep buying, you know, more packs to, to get the, the Hulk, then that is similar to to buying Ultimate Team packs. But I just think it's more a matter of ethics because we all know how much kids spend on Ultimate Team and how addicting it is. And it's one of them things where something something need needed to change because I feel like the addictive nature of opening those packs could also be, you know, a gateway into into gambling addiction in later life as well. I mean, yeah, that, that definitely can take an impact on someone and obviously make them more addicted. Uh, I'd agree with something like that. It's hard to it... disagree with it, to be honest. I mean, it's it, it's exactly what it is, and it's been this way for so long. And, and like Matt said, I'm really pleased that Belgium in particular have sort of made a stand on it. And if we're fortunate, and well, I say that in, in the hope that everyone agrees with me on this, we'll start to see it in more countries and, and even you know bigger countries where the game's even more popular because it will force them to change for the better and it'll stop EA and, and other developers with other games if they choose to go down routes like this. Mm. It will force them to improve for the better and I think that's, that's what we want, right? We don't want them to just be so sort of dollar signs in their eyes. We want the best possible content in the best way. We don't want the best content but in a super shady way like it is right yeah. now. 
Do we well, agree that EA's the worst culprit for microtransactions and loot boxes? I think overall, yes. I think there's been examples of games that have probably done it even worse. But overall, on a grand scale, EA has done it probably in the most big name titles. Mm-hmm. So it makes it seem worse. You know, if someone does it in some indie title that's worse, no one's going to care because only, say, 2,000 people played the game or whatever. Whereas, you know, you've got millions of people playing FIFA and Battlefront True. and Battlefield and so on. So, yeah, I think. Uh, I think that's the reason why you'd say at the minute EA is getting the brunt of it. But, you know, we've seen this in... Uh, I mean, do you remember Shadow of War? The microtransactions, that were awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they completely affected the game. I mean, you know, at the time, that was te- no one talks about it now because they've took them out, but that was Warner Brothers, wasn't it? And, you know, they shouldn't get off lightly because they tried to do it as well. So, but... Uh, and Ubisoft as well, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, to a lesser extent because they don't affect the game as much, but they're still there. So... Yeah. I but think Rockstar with, with it depends because um, they're the not gambling. Shark cards too. Yeah. Like they, I know it's, it's not gambling. But you know yeah. exactly what you're getting yeah, for you your money, get. but that yeah. they absolutely changed the way the game is. I think oh, yeah. microtransactions have evolved over the years since we first seen them to a point where now they are they're on par with the actual release of the game itself. Right, they're such a big part of it. Yeah, and they're not just small gimmicky add-ons anymore. They're so important to, to any game that releases and maybe important to the success and failure of the game, which is perhaps why sort of stories like this gain a lot more traction a lot more quickly. Yeah, well, I actually think it's only going to get worse as well, to be honest with you, because obviously the distribution method for games is changing. You know, we've already seen Xbox, you know, experimenting with Game Pass. Obviously, that's been a successful venture for them. You know that Sony are probably going to go all in on PS Now, next generation. And as these games become free to play in abbreviation marks, because obviously you're still paying a subscription, but they, they will be essentially free to play, a way of developers making more money out of that will be to include microtransactions. And it makes even more sense from a business point of view to include microtransactions with, with these sort of games on Game Pass or on PlayStation Now. Because more people are going to have, you know, get their hands on the game as opposed to paying 40 quid for the game. They don't have to pay anything for the game. So obviously they're going to make their money back by implementing microtransactions. Yeah, that's a bit of a worry, actually, isn't it? It's, a be- it's actually a big worry uh, for the, well, for Microsoft, especially because, you know, they've already started putting the first party games on there. And you do think, don't you? Like, it's hard to envisage. A big first party game coming out now for Microsoft where there's not going to be some sort of microtransaction component because they'll, like you said, they'll want to get their money back and stuff. Um, but hopefully, you know, never know, that might not be the case, but that is the long term worry as well for PS Now as well. If that kicks on for yeah. Sony Next Generation as well, it's a bit of a worry, but we'll it have is. to see how that goes. It is, it's something that we'll definitely be keeping an eye on as gamers, and I think a lot of people will as well. Um, however, I want to move this on to the next topic that we have to talk about here. Uh, and it's that Metro Exodus, they have signed an exclusive deal with Epic Games Store. Um, Valve says this is unfair, you know, uh, as they would, because this is this game has been on Steam for for a while now as well, um, with pre-ordering. However, customers can still get their Metro Exodus through Steam if they previously pre-ordered through the service. Obviously, Epic Games, the Epic Games Store is is there to challenge Steam. I think it's the only legitimate challenger they've had in this space i mean i can't think of anyone else that has even come close no there's been no one i mean there's been a i think ea tried their own little thing didn't they they've still got it going 
but uh, it never kicked on really. Um, but I, th- I do find it's funny actually when you read out that bit about Epic saying it's unfair. That's it's a bit rich, really, isn't it? Uh, Steam Epic. Valve Valve said it's unfair. Sorry, not Epic. Yeah, I apologise. Um, yeah, from Steam uh, from Valve saying uh, it's unfair. Bit rich, really, from uh, from Steam. Really, considering they've dominated the market for the last yeah. what ten years plus and absolutely monopolized it. I mean, it's a little I, bit rich. Well, I think that they've monopolized and dominated the market through service. Their their service being superior as opposed to exclusives. You know, I, I'm sure there probably has been some games exclusive to Steam, but it never seems to be something that they've pushed. And obviously, Epic. We spoke about this weeks ago on one of the the earlier podcasts about this store and how they were going to sort of break into that market. Obviously, they've got Fortnite, which is a massive pull. But now they're just throwing their weight around with, with money, you know, procuring a, a few exclusives. And obviously, it. I don't think it's unfair, but it is sort of immoral because it's not something that's ever really been done in the PC space is to have exclusive games to a certain storefront. So it's going to be constant to see. I disagree. I'm not sure about the immoral part of it because at the end of the day, they're a business. So they're, they've got every right to buy exclusives if they've offered enough money to you know for the developers or publishers of uh metro then what's the problem i think pc i think immoral about playstation and well sony and microsoft no because we no that's what i mean we don't look at it that way we we don't look at sony signing a second party it's an established business practice though on consoles like exclusives and consoles have always gone hand in hand the pc market has always been very sort of open source and open-minded and it's always like lean towards players being able to do what they want with their content so being forced to download a game through a certain store has proven in the past not to work like you say with um, ea and origin um, i'm sure they'd make a lot more money selling the 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 games through steam than they would selling them exclusively through origin because people just don't want to they don't want to have five different clients on their on their pc you know they don't want to have a ubisoft store and then origin and then steam they just want one sort of client where they can where they can play all their games and obviously yeah. steam is is the main choice for for most players so i think pc gamers are very yeah, a, no, a lot but... more a lot more stubborn so I, I, to be honest, even though Metro Exodus is going over to this Epic Store, I don't think it's going to entice many, many PC gamers to to log into that Epic Store at all. To be honest with you, no, I'd agree with that. But the thing I'd say is, who says that Steam should have this monopoly of being the one that does everything? No, that's not that they don't get the right to say, well, you know, who cares about the, you know, we're the most popular, we control ninety percent of the PC, you know, that, that, so what? Other people come on the block. Other people, this is what happens in business. This is what happens in life. Things come and go. Like, no one says that, who says that Steam's got the right to exist forever at the end of the day? You know, Steam's had a good run at the end of the day. And actually, Steam is is starting to dwindle a little bit. So clearly, there is some effects going on. I think if Epic are going to throw their money into this space, they should do it by providing a superior service, not just buying up exclusives, because it doesn't create a good sort of PR situation for themselves. No, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think a lot of people recently have been moaning at Steam as well for being a bit complacent with their services. They've kind of However, just. They are offering a better service to publishers, aren't they? 12, yeah, the twelve percent. They're only taking a twelve percent so cut. That's a big thing, and you know, I, I don't know if you saw in that article as well. They're actually going to be selling Metro on the Epic Store for fifty dollars instead of sixty. So that's a good thing for consumers. So that might entice people to buy it. 
It'd entice me to buy it. If I was a PC gamer, I'd be going straight to the Epic Store and paying $10 less. Why wouldn't you? I think to stick with the sort of main theme of of the article when they said it was unfair, they didn't say it was unfair that they had competition. They said it was unfair that basically the fact that Metro has been available to pre-order for such a long time on on their client. I think that's a PR spin, though, to be honest, Perks. That I think they're worried about the Epic Store. Yeah, I completely And agree. they're using that as I a PR spin to say, like, oh, yeah. no, we think it's unfair to our customers, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I, I, but really, they agree. think it's unfair that they're, they're not happy with pushed Epic, on. you know, c- yeah. coming on their land, are they? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, they're, 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 they're not is. happy with competition because, like no. you said, they've monopolized it for so long. But I, I think we can all, you know, quite coherently agree that, it, you know, if we'd all pre-ordered something on, on a certain client and then just, what, two weeks? What is it, like, just over two weeks before before Exodus comes out? Yeah, that, that gets taken from us and we get pushed in a different direction. We'd all be kind of thinking, what's going on here? So Yeah, but you're still getting I, a game I, if you're pre-ordered on Steam. Yeah, you are. But you're being sort of pushed in another direction now that you might not have wanted to go in. But I don't know. Maybe I'm playing devil's advocate with it. But for me, the bottom line is they're definitely concerned because Epic, as well as they're doing in this day and age, that they have to be, right? Valve have to be scared by that. And I, I do also understand their point that it's... It's not great that it, they, you know, they've been allowed to sort of have these pre-orders for for such a long time, and then all of a sudden, it's yeah, we we don't actually, we well, we we're honouring it because they're still getting the game, but not in the place that they thought they were. Yeah, I think mm. the biggest worry for Valve should be if Epic Games Store does take off and publishers start going because of the twelve percent cut. To be honest, yeah, that is a big thing. That twelve percent cut. That was I remember when the news first came out, and you're thinking, this is they're really going for this. Yeah, you know that's really, really a really big percentage. What was Steam's again? Was it twenty percent? I think twenty-five percent. I, mean, I think um, does <laughs> that's it, a big does incentive it, for publishers. Does it start lower and then goes higher the more the sales hit? I believe, like once you hit over forty million. I can't remember though off the top of my head. I still think it's a great incentive, especially for maybe not the absolute top developers, but for the, but for games like you know games like Metro sort of. I wouldn't say it's a small game, cause, but it's a smaller game than the big hitters, for example. You know, for a game like that, it could be massive. You know, because that sort, that's that Metro game is the sort of game that like, it, it needs to sell a certain amount, or else the company's in trouble. It's not like EA releasing FIFA and it doesn't sell as much as last year. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They're going to keep making them forever, or you know, yeah, or you know, even you know, even like a big game like Sony with Uncharted. You know, if one comes out and doesn't sell as much, it doesn't really matter too much because the others have sold so well. But um, you know, for, for games like Metro that rely are going to be relying on this selling well because they've pumped a lot of money into this game by the looks of it, and uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be a great game. I hope it is. But if the game doesn't sell well, then there might not be another one again. So true. But going um... with Epic might save them. As well, Epic will probably promote their game for them as with it yeah, being exactly. exclusive. Also, just I, I looked up the uh, the Steam revenue split, and apparently Valve t- typically has taken about thirty percent of all Steam sales through the platform. However, now for games that sell between ten million dollars and fifty million dollars, the revenue split goes down to twenty five percent. So it's still nowhere near. That's such a strange 12%. way of doing it. Why have they done it that way? I found that really strange. They've done it in that way. They're basically saying that. The, the big publishers get a break because their games are going to sell that well. Whereas mm. smaller games that need a bit of help, oh, sorry, well, if you've got a small game, it's 30%. I, I just think, I, I, this is what I mean about, like, you know, we say about, oh, it, you know, uh, 
trying to justify them saying it's unfair, but I just don't think there is any justification for them saying this sort of thing is unfair. I, they need to improve their practices if they're, if they're not happy about it. If they're not happy about competition, improve your practices. Because clearly they've rested on their laurels for so long now with this 30% thing because no one else was willing, had the money or the funding to create a rival platform uh, that was as equal to it. Well, wasn't the and thing that we discussed last time about resting on uh, the laurels that, um, yeah, I think this is the, that, that they'd let in so many different games on just a vast amount yeah, of games it's just absolute crap. crap. There's <laughs> absolute rubbish on there. It's like just unimaginable. Get like I know we, we talked about even on the Xbox and PlayStation, there's a lot of trash coming over that I don't want to see on the, the store. I, you look through the store now on these platforms and it's absolute rubbish. Half the games that come out... There's like 20 games that come out a week and half of them that just phone games that cost like four or five pounds and it's like why would i pay that you know yeah so that's something that needs to be addressed actually i think um hopefully next generation might address it but it could also go worse but just going back to the point about the rival platforms yeah steam for a long time have rested on our laurels and if it carries on the way if they carry on the way they're going they will lose customers and they already are losing customers i think i think they're, they're not as popular as they were two or three years ago and uh, yeah, maybe the Epic Game Store won't be as popular as people think. Maybe it will. We'll have to wait and see. But you know, I think it's a reminder to, to Valve that they need to keep their foot on the pedal. You know. Yeah, it, I think it is a wake-up call for them, and they they do have competition. Um, something Definitely. as well that I've seen. I believe the the the. Jeez, sorry, but <laughs> I believe the Division Two is also exclusive to Epic Game Store. Yep. I think that deal's it's probably not as controversial that one because that's been in the pipeline for longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is what I mean. It shows you that clearly these companies are going, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, okay, Steam has a much bigger user base and things like that, but if we're getting more money for our games, then it might be worth taking the risk. Yeah. And Epic, going over. Epic Games has become quite a player, hasn't it, in this space? Yeah, exactly. Due to one and, game. <laughs> you know, Epic aren't going to run out of money anytime soon. So it's not like it's going to be one of them platforms that runs out of money. You know, so, you know, they've got Fortnite, which is probably going to last them for another 20 years, the way it's going. So, <laughs> it's a big maybe prediction. forever. I don't know, but... A bold um, prediction, 20 years of Fortnite. Well, it would it shock anyone if it was still around in 10, 15 years' time, in some form or another. It might not be Fortnite, but there's some version of it. I don't know. Everything seems to drop off at some point. Things do drop off, some, but, but... some do. Have no sign of Fortnite dropping off at the minute. It's just getting bigger and bigger. It so. Is. We'll see, but I don't think probably a uh, topic for a, you know another day. It's it's that big. I think you could talk about yeah, that. You, for, could. you really could for a long time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think I think you could. Uh, however, we'll move on to the next topic. Um, topic number three, which is Quantic Dream team teams up with uh, NetEase Games, uh, Chinese giant NetEase. I believe that's right, isn't it, Perks? They're yeah, they're the, company that, they're the company I mentioned a few weeks back when we talked about the future of Bungie after the Activision split. I said it was, I think it was over 100 million they got from NetEase mm-hmm. to fund a sort of non-Destiny related future project. And yeah, that wasn't all we've heard of them now with the sort of Quantic Dream um, partnership, if you like. Yeah, apparently so, it's going multi-platform now as a result of this partnership. Mm, I think it's really interesting because NetEase as I explained a few weeks back, they're predominantly relating themselves, or at least to this point in time, with online services and online games. And Quantic Dream, I'm not saying they've, they've never 
had anything that relates to online, but let's be honest, the they excel in I the think it, single player well, in the narrative market. Just to chip in here, I think it's what the, the well the things that are online in uh, especially in Detroit were the choice mate, you know, where it's like, oh, fifty three percent of people did this or did that. I think that's probably the side of it maybe. Right. That, but uh, that that's not a massive But it is an thing. online service it, that's it? needed. Like, you, it's something that's that is yeah, getting analytics from somewhere on for that. that. So. Yeah, I agree, but look that's yeah. not like a massive I mean, no, I'm, no, but... I'm no developer and, and I'm no sort of web host or whatever, but it, the, the thing is, stuff like that, that, that's not the most difficult thing to put together, is it? I mean, that's purely no. percentage-based. We're not talking well, about I don't know. I, I don't... always online yeah. shared world shooters or MMORPGs. Just, that's just numbers, and, and that's quite different. So I'd be very surprised if they've come together just for statistics and, and numerical data in their games. But we don't know, you know, maybe the next project, it's expanding that or something. I, I can't, I, I don't think, I know what you're alluding to, maybe they're going to do some on, on online. I, I don't think they're going to do, I think they know their roots, Quantic Dream. I don't think they're going to do some all, all online thing. I just can't well, see I'm not it. alluding I, I to can't. it. Like, that's not my prediction at all. I'm saying no. it's quite strange because NetEase is so big in the online market and Quantic Dream not so much. True. I'm not, I'm not sure about the the partnership there i'm not sure how it makes sense unless we're going to see something completely different but one thing's for Maybe, sure is I that just... i'm interested in it and i'm interested yeah. in netties because they're coming you know we spoke a little bit earlier on today off uh, off the show and, and you mentioned they're sort of making plays on the western market now so yeah they are yeah they're we'll making see uh, and you know the, if they're going to keep sort of lining themselves up with top developers and top companies then I am well, interested to see what comes of it. One thing it is good for is Xbox fans, because now you'll see some of their games come across. You won't see their games that they've done, but you'll see future games come across, which is always a good thing. The, does Sony still hold the IP rights for Heavy yeah, Rain they, and Detroit and all that? I know definitely Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. I don't know about Detroit, but I would imagine it's Sony's. I wanted I to guess. see Heavy Rain 2. Know, but... Heavy Rain 2, The Return of Jason. Jason? <laughs> I gotta find Jason. <laughs> Great game, but I think that. How would you Quantic even Dream, do Heavy Rain Two? Sorry, sir. How would you even do <laughs> Heavy Rain Two? <laughs> I don't think you could, to be honest. But I think with Quantic Dream, they tend to do. Jason IPs, never died. It was a so. conspiracy. <laughs> what he didn't get? Was he the one who got hit by the car? Yeah, he's the one. With, you well, lose him. You lose him at the, the start car. of the game. Yeah. Well. He, well. Yeah. He dies at the start of the game. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, if, you games if, you been played, if you haven't played like an eleven year old game. If you haven't played the first five minutes of an eleven year old game, then there's a big spoiler for you. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Sid, what were you saying about Quantic Dream? No, I was just saying they tend to do new IP, don't they, every time they I don't think they have they ever done a sequel. I don't think they have, um, so I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure they haven't, unless it's something from a long, long time ago. But uh you know, because even in the PS2 days, they did Fahrenheit, didn't they? And that wasn't uh, that, there wasn't a sequel to that. So every game that Quantic Dream have made has been this sort of like narrative choice based game. So I can't see, regardless of who they've been acquired by, I can't see them ever doing any sort of different game. So the like like you said, already alluded to, maybe this this is just a play to to sort of get themselves their foot in the door in the western market obviously quantic, quantic dream are a good enough developer i don't think there's a huge market for these type of games anymore though to be perfectly honest with you maybe no maybe although they'll detroit go episodic. Ended up selling two million copies which 
isn't anything it's good it's good for what it is but but do you also feel like if a game like detroit was multi-platform it might have sold less just yeah that's the uh obviously they had they had sony quite heavily pushing it as an exclusive whereas if it goes multi-platform i think it might just get lost in the i think in the absolute mush of games that comes out every year i think that quantic dream name might obviously get people you know loyal fans of the games will still buy it yeah i'll probably Um, buy it because it's not like it's going away. Yeah, it's it's not like it's going off PlayStation. They're just going to be on Xbox and possibly Switch as well and PC, I imagine. So, I you know, I, I maybe maybe you know we've talked before, haven't we, about you know some some games. So I you know I alluded to Spider Man. I, I I thought if it had been on Xbox as well, I'm not sure it would have got as many sales as it did. Um, Are you sure, on PlayStation, though? not on PlayStation. It wouldn't, have, pretty, it wouldn't have, pretty popular it wouldn't have sold. It wouldn't have been selling ten million copies on PlayStation if it was multi-platform. If you get what I'm trying to say. Right, I got like you. it'd have been more split because I feel like it'd have more I mean. than ten though, across both. Possibly, but I don't know if it would have been much more. I think PlayStation, it would have been down on PlayStation, and I think Xbox don't tend to buy as many games as PlayStation anyway. And Spider Man's kind of associated with PlayStation now, you know. With it. so, I, yeah, I don't know, but I think uh, I think they're probably thinking that they've had a good run with Sony, haven't they? They've been around for well, Sony platforms. I think they've released been releasing games on some platforms for over 10 years now since even since you know ps2 days so um they've had a good run with sony they're probably thinking you know we'll try something new um go multi-platform try and find a new audience on switch or xbox or pc wherever they decide to go um yeah and i you know i'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the future um probably be a while though because they take a long time to make their games so you're probably looking at another three or four years before you see anything concrete from them but be interesting to see. Yeah, what's what's next in uh, David Cage's mind? Exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, There's a lot of things rattling in that cage, isn't there? So, were we all fans of uh, Detroit? I mean, or was it actually okay. only me and you who played it? Yeah, only me and you that played it. But yeah, I didn't get around to playing it. No, to be honest, you liked it a lot more than me. I, I thought it was good. I just I didn't did. think it was great. So I preferred. I thought it, more it could have been better. Rain, actually. Um. A lot of people think, you know, a lot of. I think you're in the, you're in the majority with it. I think a lot of people do think it's the best game. I don't think so, but I'm probably in the minority with that. Yeah. But you know, it was a good game. It, you know, it was a good step forward in terms of the technology they used, and you know, the voice acting was far superior to uh, their previous efforts. So, voice acting was really on par in this game. So. Yeah. And that's always true. been the thing, hasn't it? People, you know, laughed at Heavy Rain for the voice acting and. It was a different era, but they had to address that. So they did that well. Uh, the story was pretty as good funny as, well, as that so. Jason thing is, and as bad as it's done, or as badly as it's done, you know, it's iconic now, isn't it? Yeah. But the game was great, wasn't it? Jason! <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. That, that YouTube video that went round as well of the, the guy just walking out in public doing it. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Oh, Mega sixty four. That, that yeah. was it. Who can forget? Yeah, it was great. I remember that. But uh, yeah, because I mean, I don't know if any of you did, but I went back to play Heavy Rain a couple of years ago when they really released it on PS four, and that game definitely hasn't aged well. Like uh, the story's still good, but <laughs> the movement's terrible. It's clunky. It's a really awkward game. The voice acting's bad. So you know, some games like that just don't age well, do they? And I think no. Quantic Dream games in general, probably aren't games that'll age well. Even Detroit, you'll probably look back on that in 10 years and go, oh, this, you know, this doesn't look great, but 
Yeah, that's true. I think with most games, though, it tends to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah, there's 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 some games that stand the test of time, but it's uh, it's quite rare nowadays that a game from you can go back to a game and go, oh, this is great, you know. True. However, so. going back to a game, topic number four, which is uh, Resident Evil Two. Ooh. I know, Sud, you've been able to play it. You've managed to complete it. I know Perks also finally purchased purchased it today, which. I'm surprised it took you so long, to be honest. Because uh, you bought a game. Miracles do happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I finished installing it just before we started, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to to getting into that as soon as possible. Yeah, I, th- I so, thought yeah. we could get a Suds like non-spoiler review I'll try sort not of thing. To be spoilery. I mean, I know you've played the game before, but you know there is new well, things in it. So yeah, we're, we're not just saying spoil avoid much. spoilers for us. I mean, avoid well, no, spoilers other for everybody. Never played it, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I've put, I think I've put about probably put about fifteen hours into it. Uh, I did the first playthrough; that took me about ten hours, and I'm about halfway through the second playthrough. So yeah, about fifteen hours I think I've put into it, maybe a bit less, but it's great. It's it's uh, it's exceeded my expectations. I, I I knew the game was going to be good because you know all the when you see all the first impressions and you could just tell by looking at it the game was going to be good. I tried to avoid too much on it because I wanted to you know I wanted to be surprised when I played the game and. It's been great. It's um, they, 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 what they've managed to do so well is that it's very hard sometimes with remasters and remakes. Is sometimes when you play these remasters and remakes, they still feel really old and a bit antiquated. But this doesn't feel like that at all. Like even though it's using mechanic, even though some of the mechanics are obviously you know very similar or same to the original, they don't feel old. They feel it feels nice, and it feels nice to play a nice, tight, compact game that. You know, it's not the longest game in the world. Like my first playthrough, you know, not looking at like guides or anything, was nine hours, which isn't long, but for a Resident Evil game, nine hours is fairly long, I suppose, because in the past, you know, people have completed them in three, four hours or whatever. But you know, I like the fact that they've added a lot of replayability to the game as well. Um, that you know, you, even when you complete the game, it's there's, there's a nice gameplay loop to it that makes you want to play it again. There's something addictive about it, and I've got to say that. Um, you know, I think I think the you know the, obviously the two main villains in the game are great. Uh, there's I don't want to spoil this people haven't played it, but I think everyone that's watched videos knows that one of the main villains is obviously the tyrant, the big thing that chases you around, and he's got mm. his hat on and stuff. But fantastic villain. You know, you, you really do feel a sense of dread when you're in when you're in the police station and you can hear footsteps and it's like, is he on the floor above me? Is he on the floor below me? Is he on my floor? If I open this door, will he be outside the door? It's I think you compared sort of it to. Alien Isolation in that sort of way. Yeah, it's you? similar. I don't think it's as I personally. I don't think it's as bad as Alien Isolation. That's one of the scariest games I've ever played. But uh, there's definitely a fear there and a trepidation. Go through oh, that game. Was, <laughs> I, Alien. I couldn't handle Alien. It was too much for me. I just it was horrible. But uh, did you complete the synthetics? It? Is no, synthetics. I didn't complete it. Synthetics. The synthetics no, were the scariest part. They were pretty. Yeah, they were pretty freaky looking. But uh, yeah, it's great. I, I think anyone. I think all of us. Any of us that have played enjoy it. It's I think you'll especially enjoy it, Perks. Like, um, that's definitely a game as well. If you like getting scared, you play that at midnight or something. You know, in, at night with headphones on in the dark, it's very scary. Especially I, the whole game's quite scary, but especially the uh, the start of the game, the police station. It's, yeah, it's re- it's really well done. Um, it's just great. I do I, love I just, your I just description really of tyrant though. That he's got his hat on. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's what makes him great. He wears a fedora. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. This little. I don't know if he had that in the original. I think they've added that in, but 
Uh, that so that mod, that code mod, has been completely redone. Like it isn't any, yeah. any anything no, no, yeah, anywhere near the same as it was in the originals. It's just great. But, you know, I, I don't know. Apparently, like I haven't played the game, but apparently, according to some of the reviews I read, it gets quite tedious. Um, uh, like it, the like time is is interesting at the start, but then obviously as the game goes on, you just get sick of it. I didn't really feel that to be honest. There is obviously another main villain in it as well. There's not just Tyrant, but um, Tyrant's the one at the start. But there is as you progress through the game, you go to basically. What? Sorry. But spoilers. Like you yeah, don't want to I mean, talk about the main, the second no, one. But, I mean, it's not. I'm not said who it is. You know, it's not not that much. much you know, in a Resident Evil game, there's not just going to be one enemy, is there? You know, there's going to be a few. There's usually a couple, two or three bosses in every Resident Evil. But yeah, um, spoiler alert: the main boss in Resident Evil Two is at corpse. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of corpses. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're not. That's but, not the uh, main boss. <laughs> even the, you know, I've not even talked about the zombies. You know, the zombies as well are really good. The model, the character models on the zombies are fantastic. Like. Probably the best character models I've seen for zombies, which you'd expect because it's you know a new game, but it's fantastic character models and they've they've definitely took a lot of inspiration from Resident Evil Seven. There's no doubt about it. Like obviously it's not the first person perspective, but there's just elements in that game that feel like Resident Evil Seven as well, which I think is really good. I've I've said it to me it's like a, it's a, like it's like a mashup of Resident Evil Seven, Resident Evil Four, and Resident Evil Revelations. That's the mashup that I'd say it is perks. Um. Well, don't say that to Perks because Resident Evil Four, even though <laughs> yeah, no, Resident yeah. Evil is his most hated game. Well, I just game. mean in terms of the way the you know the guns feel and move and stuff. Not really in terms of the game, but that's the match. I, the, you know, we played a lot of Resident Evil Revelations, didn't we, uh, earlier mm. last year? And there's a lot of the game that reminds me of that game. Actually, I don't know what it is. It's I think it's just the tight corridors because on Revelations you're in the ship, aren't you? And it's tight corridors, and it's quite similar to the police station. Um, yeah, it's just a more great. sort of modern it. way they've started to present yeah. the game. I know Seven was a little bit different with it being in, in first person, but I like the way that they they present the third person version of Resident Evil these days. Well, yeah. Granted, like Matt mentioned, it took me a while to accept it and get used to it because, look, I, I sort of grew up with you the, hate change. With yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up with the with the sort of tight fixed place like CCTV type cameras, and it really did make the game scary as hell. Yeah, you could hear things you couldn't see them, and it it gave you that sense of dread. But they they've translated that into into the modern sort of way. Do you think? Of do you not think that? Sorry, do you not think the Resident Evil Seven is going to be a one off? Because I don't think they'll make another Resident Evil in that mold. I think that I was a know. very I, that so it was an Outlast clone, basically. That's what it yeah. was. They 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 thought, oh, what works in survival horror these days? People like the Silent Hills demo. People liked Outlast, so let's just copy that. I don't really like that, to be honest. I feel like... You can't say clone. Oh. Perks got in trouble well. for Destiny clone. Yeah, you'll be getting <laughs> oh, right, the, uh, okay. Outlast fans. <laughs> well, if there's any, like, well, if there's any rabid Resident Evil biohazard lovers out there, I mean, come and debate me if you, if oh, you think that, that that's yeah. not an Outlast clone because it is li- literally an exact clone of Outlast. Yeah, they added different elements, to be fair. I think it's not... I know what you mean. They took a lot of ideas from Outlast, I mean, but... It's Outlast with a Resident yeah, Evil game. It could have been. But anyway, reg- regardless, right. I think Resident Evil's always been associated with combat as well. Like yeah. it's about combat Combat's and sort really of am- ammo management and things like that. And obviously, in Resident Evil Seven, there was small elements of combat, but it wasn't really like a main focus of the game. So I, I don't think like maybe that style is suited to to any sort of combat. I feel like the third person over the shoulder camera is a better fit 
So it'd be interesting to see what they actually do with Resident Evil 8. Yeah. No, I agree. Resident Evil 8 is going to be an interesting one because they have got a decision to make. Do they go third person or do they go first person? It's What's great is, though, they've got the option to do it because I thought Resident Evil 7 was really good. I really enjoyed Resident Evil 7. I thought the first person would work well in that game. But now that I've played Resident Evil 2 Remake in third person, it's like, ah, I don't know. I kind of like this as well. So it's like, it's a tricky one. But yeah, just going back to Resident Evil 2 as well, um, that's another thing that, that does the combat is fantastic in the game. It's, you know, sometimes in certain Resident Evil games, you know, the combat's been a bit clunky, hasn't it? And stuff like that. Even in even in 4, like Resident Evil 4 is my favorite Resident Evil game, but you go back to play that game now and it feels very clunky and the gunplay feels a bit strange and stuff. So they've done a lot of good work. Um, with this remake in that regard. And Which even Resident the... Evil is the one um, where you're in Africa? That's the only one I've ever played. Uh, that was Resident Evil 5. Uh, yeah, that was That's five. when it started going downhill. Like, it was fine. It was a decent game, Resident Evil 5, but it started going downhill. <laughs> um, but I t- I t- what I think is great is, and I think you'll agree with this, Perks, it's just great to see Resident Evil back in form. It's just great to see hit like two hits in a row. Like I know Hasn't you maybe weren't the biggest fan. Yeah, I know, but I think he knows but, what he's getting yeah, into this I, game. Like, he's seen the reviews and you well, know, the I, games. I didn't even need to see the reviews. I mean, yeah, when, when but... I spoke about it last week as yeah. a, here's what we're going to see in, in the next sort of week of releases, yeah. you, you know how good it's going to be. And let's not lie, it took them a long time to get there. They, they've had a lot of sort of missteps along the way or you think, is this series dead now? Yeah. Well, that's it, yeah. After but six weeks, you know, I like the zombies, it's yeah. come back to life. So I'm pleased about that. It, yeah, it looks like it's where it's where it needs to be, and I think sort of just going sort of flitting back and forth just for one second there before I ask you a question about Resident yeah. Evil Two, I would be interested to see if they're going to continue with the theme of sort of first person for the mainline titles, so eight and and so forth for the time being, whilst that was succeeding, and then keep on making the sort of remakes or remakes. remasters yeah. in in the sort of now Resident Evil Two format because yeah. I'm sure they're going to present three in the same way because they have to. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, three. It'd have to be. I, if I, I think Resident Evil Three remakes a certainty now, personally, I think it's actually. I think actually, it might even be in, already in development. That was a rumor, and it wouldn't shock me because Resident Evil Three, like I think we discussed before, is a lot of people's favorite Resident Evil game. Um, you know, it's one of them sort of cult classic Resident Evils, isn't it? That a lot of the true fans say is like the best one and stuff. Um, well, so, like, but... I actually said to you, I think the other day, like everyone wanted Resident Evil One remade, and yeah. they loved it. And then they were like, "Actually, no, we we really love Resident Evil 2. And then they want that remade, <laughs> and here it is. And again, you can see in the numbers and the returns it's getting, not just financially, but in scores as well. Yeah. Resident Evil Three remade would do exceptionally well. But I think one thing that I'm interested to see in Resident Evil Two, and obviously don't give too much away here, but no. With the orphanage being part of the game now, which yeah. we we didn't see previously, how important yeah. is that? Is that an area that sort of lives up to the police station expectations, or is it just something you could sort of take or leave? Well, interestingly enough, um, that's the part of the game that I've just done on my second playthrough. Mm. Um, it's because yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's weird because obviously different the, the campaigns, as you probably know, have different areas. Like some areas are in one campaign, some are not in the other. Yeah. And they kind of switch a little bit what areas you're in, but I've just done the orphanage and it was, uh, yeah, but I, th- I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the it, it was, it wasn't uh, a massively lengthy section of the game, but it was, I think it was serviceable and it did its job because that's obviously a new section, isn't it? They've added in that wasn't in exactly. The um, 
but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't want to, it's hard to say without giving anything away, but I, I enjoyed it. And I think it didn't feel out of place with the game. Mm. Um, I think it was a, it, it felt, uh, it felt, you know, authentic and it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like they were just adding it in. You know, it felt like actually this, you know, it added something to the story. So um, I enjoyed that. And actually that's the part of the game where I think it takes inspiration from seven. Actually, that's one of the parts I would say that it reminded me that part in the orphanage of things in seven. And I think they've definitely looked at that and gone, well, you know, we can incorporate this in this game and stuff. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it when you play it as well. Mm, I'm just glad to know that it fits because obviously the police station's so iconic. It, you know, you oh, wouldn't yeah, need to be told it was Resident Evil when you yeah. saw it. You just know. So as long as the orphanage doesn't feel tacked on and it, it fits the, the sort of story well and it fits the the game theme well, then yeah, that I sounds so. really good to me. It didn't take me. You know, when I went into it, I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, what's this? This is a bit stupid. They've had it. It felt. I just felt like I was playing the game. You know, it's obviously that section is. You know, it's a little bit different. It's, I don't want to give too much away, but it, you know, the the experience is a bit different from when you're in the police station. But it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a complete, you know, misstep or anything like that. I mm. thought it was fine. Good. So, well, nice yeah. positive uh, review there. I, as I, I expected it anyway. I know you guys are big fans, and by all accounts, the, the remaster or remakes pretty bloody good. So I think, yeah, just to finish on that, I think uh, I definitely say it's a game of the year contender. I know it's early on, and maybe people get a bit weird, don't they? Like, oh, can you give a remake a game of the year? But I think so. I think it's definitely up there. I'm not saying it'll win it because there's obviously a lot of great games to come out this year, but it's an early game of the year contender for me. Yeah. I think you can definitely give a remake game of the yeah. year. I don't think you can give a remaster game of the year, but building something from the ground up and, and you know, taking it from so many years back and, and not just sort of throwing a new coat of paint over it. Yeah, that that can definitely count as game of the year. Just, just one more thing as well. It was talking about remakes. I think as much as Resident Evil 3 would be big, I think, uh, I think they're building up to the Resident Evil 4 remake because that will be huge. If that ever comes out, if they remake, I didn't it. even want to say it because Perks will attack me. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but Perks. To be fair, I think Perks is in the minority. Ah, why like, would you want to remake the worst Resident Evil? No. You probably think it's worse than Raccoon City, don't you? Well, we all know that Nothing's Raccoon City is the best game in the Resident Evil <laughs> franchise. So Are you jealous about them remaking Raccoon City? If they ever remake that, I'll just that'll be the end. I never remake that one. That was awful. If but they remake Resident Evil 4, I'm going Resident to buy Evil the game 4, for you yeah. and make you play the game again and apologise to me when you completed it. Well, I think I already said like about 10 minutes ago, maybe 15 minutes ago, when it changed, I didn't like it back then because, I mean, you, you hadn't even played the previous Resident Evils when you hit 4, had you? So 4 was like your first take on it, your first experience of it. And for me, going from sort of one, two, three, Code Veronica and stuff to four, I was like, you know, what the hell is this? This isn't Resident Evil. And I, it just didn't appeal to me back then. But now, having seen how well it actually works in that sort of way of presentation, I'm all for it. I, I don't mind that as a as a thing. If it comes to light like four being remade, that's fine. I've just thought of another one as well. You mentioned it, Code Veronica. That's another one they could easily remake, I think. Because mm. it actually is very similar to 2, isn't it? In terms of the way it plays and everything. Yeah, very much so. Like, all the old games yeah. that, that were released in, in that sort of generation, they could um, all be remade from the ground up, and, and we've seen it already, so I don't see One other thing as well about Resident Evil 2 is, I don't know if any of you know, they're actually, they're actually releasing free DLC for it as well. Three new, like, little story packs. Um, 
which is really good. I think that's great. I think it's fantastic they're doing that. Uh, I think I don't know the complete details, but I think you play as like three unknown survivors of the police station or something, and you look at the game from their perspective and play it. So that'll be interesting as well. So it's good to see that they're like not just leave you know leaving the game. They're actually like you know doing little updates to it and stuff. Yeah. I think that comes out soon as well. I think it's mid February or maybe late That's quite February. Cool, that comes out. So I think it's three three different stories. They might only be short. You may be looking at maybe an hour long for each one or something. But it's still a cool little thing they've added in. Yeah, definitely. To playing them. Definitely something. You know, I I might even try it. I've never really played the Resident Evil franchise, so maybe it would be give a good go. place for me to yeah give it a go. See what it's like. Um, however, there is one final topic I do want to touch on. Um, and it's Sony have reportedly shifted or they are reportedly shifting first party development focus onto PS5 um, apparently PS5 dev kits are out there and there's been positive things said about them what are our thoughts about this? excited for the next gen? yeah I think we all are aren't we at this point I mean I, I'm still enjoying games this gen but I'm starting to get that itch now. It's coming into 2019. I'm starting to get that itch for a new console. It's been, you know, just over, well, just over six years, isn't it? Uh, since the no, sorry, just over five years since the uh, the Xbox One and PS4 came out. So yeah, it's getting to that stage where I remember that I remember I think it was in 2012, 2011, when we all were like, oh, we just want next gen now. You know, we're kind of getting bored of this gen, and it feels it's starting to get a little bit like that now. So I'm definitely how, excited to see what's in store. How long do you think it will be then? With this sort of news, how long, what's the time frame, do you think, for the next-gen release? I think end of next year is a pretty safe bet for both consoles, to be honest. Um, I mean, there could be a surprise in store. Maybe one of them will come out sort of March, April 2020, but I just don't think so. I think with all the rumours and noises that are coming out, it seems like it's about an 18-month period from now that they'll probably come out. So you're looking at probably October, November 2020, I reckon, is a safe Mm -hmm. bet to assume. Uh, how about you, Perks, Matty? What are your thoughts on this? Um, I'm not that that excited for a next gen console, to be honest with you. Yet, um, just because I feel like there's diminishing returns in in sort of visuals. You know, it was it was kind of different with the Xbox 360 and PS3 because that was a long generation for for multiple reasons. It was one of the longest generations for consoles in, in sort of recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, at, so obviously with with sort of ps5 i do feel like the time is 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 near it, traditionally you know console generations only last five six years so we, we will definitely be seeing a new console soon but i i just don't have the like hype factor for it yet to be honest with you yeah that's understandable how about you perks i yeah i kind of share the same sentiments there to be honest with you i don't think i ever really get truly excited about stuff like that until it gets very close to the time like obviously you know we've all watched e3 together for years and you know we've enjoyed what we've seen but un- until it's just a few months away and my pre-order set in stone and you know i can really sort of feel part of it i i don't really get excited about something that we might be talking about is is almost two years away maybe sort of a well a year and three quarters yeah you it, mentioned pre-order perks the, the age-old question will be coming up which one are we going to get the new Microsoft release on new Xbox uh, or the the new PS. Got to see think, both the consoles yeah. first. Yeah. I know, I know. We've I think got to, wait to be honest, see, but that question will be coming up. Yeah, I, I'm just feeling more towards Xbox in the minute. I think at the minute, I don't know. I'm not saying that PlayStation can be bad or anything. I'm sure it's going to be great, but 
I think at the minute I'm more leaning towards just Xbox again. Right now. I'm surprised mm. that we bought an Xbox after the start of last year. I think it's going to be different <laughs> next gen. I don't think it's going to be the same as 2013. I, I, I think I think Microsoft are going to be a lot more positive this gen, next generation. You know, we've already seen signs about, haven't we, uh, with the acquisitions they're making with studios. I just, I they're gearing up for next gen, and I think Microsoft next gen will definitely be a bigger player than they were this gen. I still think PlayStation will probably overall take it. I think that you know their user base is massive, and that a lot of that user base will just transition across to PS5. But I think Xbox are definitely going to be more popular than this gen, and I think you'll see more hits from the next generation. I'm pretty, I'm fairly confident in that. Yeah, fairly confident. Mm, so, I mean, as long as you don't see Microsoft or Sony do anything completely drastic no. or crazy so well, close to, to the launch so. of, of the actual new consoles, then I, I agree. We'll see a more sort of shared sort of sales market going forward, but with Sony probably just remaining out. One, I think, yeah, one, of these consoles, one of these consoles will not have a disk drive. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think that's a massive mistake if Xbox do that. I know digital's getting bigger, but you can already see the headlines, can't you? You can just envisage it's it'd be another twenty thirteen all over again. I don't think Microsoft are that stupid to do that. Now you might see you might see um a double skew where it's like one has no disk drive and one does. I can see that, but I can't see them just going completely. It, fra- it always fragments the just market. Can't see it. I, I, I always feel like fragmenting the market with consoles is a bad idea. Like the the whole sort of Xbox three sixty when that came out and it was like you can have the Xbox three 60 core or you can have the xbox 360 premium with a massive 20 gig hard drive it's like <laughs> it should just all, all be the well. same yeah but all be the same skew but I, I mean do you not think there'd be a massive backlash the fact that there was no discs you can already envisage headlines especially nowadays with the digital world you know everyone just will go on twitter and go oh look look at microsoft again back to 2030 i just can't see it they'd be they'd be idiots to do that absolute idiots they might want to do that they probably do want to do that deep down in the hearts, but I think that they must be smart enough to realise that a large portion of their audience still buys physical mm-hmm. games. And I, I agree, but I, I, I think 20 sort of 13, the world wasn't ready for a, for what Microsoft were proposing as, as a sort of as a as a method of distribution for games. I think we are actually slowly getting closer towards that. I mean, I don't want to see either. I there, yeah. love, love discs, but I don't think we're there yet, though, with internet. Experience. They're making extremely forward-thinking moves, Microsoft, in everything that they're doing at the moment, and I just think the the maximum discs last is one more generation. But even that, like, I don't know. It, it's really going to be going to be very interesting to see if one of if one of these two go discless for this console, the PS Five or Xbox One. I don't think. I think out of the two, yeah, I would agree. With Xbox are far more likely. I can't envisage a scenario where PlayStation don't have a disc drive. You might think, oh, they can get away with it because they've got a big user base. User bases are fickle. They'll just all transport them to Xbox if that's the case. All the physical users. I, I can't see it. I just don't see why you do it. It's too much of a gamble. It's a ma- It'd be too much of a gamble. I think it'd be silly. The main, the main issue that they've got to tackle isn't even getting rid of the disc drive. It's getting rid of the disc drive and also retaining backwards compatibility because people have well, Xbox yeah. One discs and they have PS4 discs and we're assuming unless Sony and Microsoft are stupid that both these consoles from day one are going to be backwards well, compatible. We know Xbox is 100% certainty, don't we? I mean, it's obvious. 
there's no way it's not going to be backwards compatible. They've gone down this route now. They, they, the original Xbox games, 360 games, Xbox One games, they're all in the same family. So PlayStation is a bit more up in the air. I still think it's likely, it's very likely they're going to have backwards compatibility. I can't see why they wouldn't. I think they'd be shooting themselves in the foot if they didn't at least have at least have backwards compatibility with PlayStation 4. Um, they could even try and do it for PS3, 2, and 1, but I think PS4 they'll definitely have backwards compatibility for. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested. What, what do you two think about it? Uh, I think it would be a mistake. Um, I could just imagine, you know, Xbox announcing discless, mm. discless console, and then you imagine just the Sony. You can see the memes already, can't yeah, you? Yeah, I can imagine then Sony just coming out and going, "Yay, we've got discs." You can use discs this is on how you console. Put, they do the thing where it's like, this is how you put a disc in the PlayStation 4. Yeah, just like in 2013. <laughs> yeah, I can um, see it as well. Yeah. Xbox. So I, I think it would be a mistake. It would be a big gamble. So it's probably not worth doing. How no. about you, Perks? I mean, we've talked before, haven't we, about the, the possibility that Microsoft will continue to release the, the sort of family of, of, of Xboxes. And when we talked about them, probably bringing a streaming box to the market that would be the discless one rather than the main console in my opinion mm-hmm. because that would make the most sense because that's not such a a drastic measure i mean if it's a streaming box then it doesn't particularly need a disk drive but i think if if we're talking about their their sort of if they were to release two or even three different SKUs and, and iterations of the new xbox whatever their equivalent of the xbox one x would be I think it would need a disk drive, at least for one more generation, and then after that, we'll we'll probably see a market in which disk drives just don't exist with consoles anyway. Yeah. But I think next time out, the the most powerful version of the next Xbox will definitely have a disk drive, in my opinion. And the way I think go. PlayStation exactly the same. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. That's for sure, and I'm sure we'll be keeping our eagle eyes out for it. <laughs> um, anyway, that's the uh, that's the end of the podcast. So, where can people find you on? social media sud uh, you can find me on twitter at david 10 spud lovely stuff how about you perks i'm at jg perks no longer <laughs> at corpse rest in peace at corpse <laughs> how about you my uh at matty cheatham on instagram and twitter nice stuff and cool. if, if you <laughs> yeah cool and if you <laughs> if you want to radical wanna... bro radical Jesus, that feels very 2000s, early 2000s. Yeah, it really like is. That. <laughs> the bad old days. Uh, anyway, you bad can find days. me on social the good media, at Twitter and Instagram, at Leld, L-E-L-3-Ds, add a nine on the end for Instagram. You can also find Checkpoint Reach podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Chet Reach Pod. We're also on YouTube, Checkpoint Reach podcast. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, give us a like, give us a share, ring the bell. And if you have any questions or you know any debates or discussions you want to bring up for the show, then yeah, send your thoughts in to our social media. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining us as always. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been good. Enjoyed it today. Yeah, as Perks would say, it's been radical, bro. So yeah, <laughs> for one week only. For one week only. <laughs> so yeah, we hope you've enjoyed listening to it too, and we also hope you have a good week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. See you, guys. Bye. Bye.